Well, as I indicated earlier, this morning we are continuing to walk through our Vision 2020 um, sermon series. Last week, um, we came together and we looked at the first message within that um, sermon series. and We looked at what Paul had to say at the church at Ephesus. Paul prayed specifically for that church. He prayed for their strength, for their power, for the Holy Spirit's indwelling, prayed for deep roots, prayed for love, comprehension, and he prayed for the, the, the um, fullness of God to be manifested within their lives. And then Paul prayed to the Lord for his glory to be in the church and his glory to be manifested through the church. So last week we looked at that first message this morning we're going to look at the mission of the church next week we'll look or in two weeks we'll well the mission of the church next week we'll look at the vision of the church and then we'll look at what we value as a church following that so i'm looking forward to unpacking these messages over the coming weeks but our message point this morning is this this is not going to be a surprise to any of us because all of us that are believers know this okay If you're not a believer, then I pray at the end of this message you'll understand this. But the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples. This is a universal message. It was given to the first church, and it subsequently has been a message given to every other church since that first church. Before Jesus ascended into the heavens to assume his rightful spot next to the Father, he left his disciples with two significant charges. In Matthew chapter 28, we get charge number one, and these are the words that we read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that passage right there. All authority had been given to Jesus. You know what Jesus does? Jesus gives us the authority to go, doesn't he? Gives us the authority to go and to preach. Gives us the authority to go and teach. Gives us the authority to go and to baptize people into his name. And in Acts 1-8, Jesus also gave these words to that first church and subsequently us. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So does, does God's reach have limitations? Absolutely not. He's commanded us to go into every corner of this world to preach the good news of salvation. Jesus gave all of us in this room that are believers a specific mission, and that is to make disciples of all people in all nations. Now this morning, we're going to look at two verses from Romans chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 together. And we're just going to walk through these two verses um, as we go through this message together this morning. But Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is Paul writing. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Notice what Paul does, our, our first point here. Paul makes it clear that he is not apologizing for the gospel. How many of you in this room have ever had to apologize for something that you have done? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you men have ever had to apologize for something you've done? To your wife especially, okay? How many of you have to apologize to your wife every single day? Okay? If you have not apologized to your wife every single day of your marriage, then you need to apologize for not apologizing, okay? Let's just be honest, all right? Let's do, today is a catch-up day for all the times that you have failed to apologize. Now, what I love about Paul in this passage of Scripture this morning is Paul makes it very, very clear that he is not going to apologize for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he is going to boldly preach it to anyone and everyone that he comes in proximity to, regardless of the consequences. And here's the thing that we need to understand about, about Rome, okay? Um, Rome was the greatest city in the world during the first century. This week, Caitlin um, had a test on, on, on Rome in a worldview class, and, and I kind of looked through her study guide a little bit, and I was just reminded of, of just how powerful that dynasty really was during the, the, the early centuries. Of, of, um, of, but Paul had not yet visited Rome when he wrote this letter, but he knew that if the gospel got into the hearts of the Romans, it would certainly get into the hearts of the world. All Ro- you've heard all roads lead from Rome and to Rome. Well, that's the, how much powerful this place had. If Rome would get the gospel into their hands and into their hearts and into their heads, then guess what? It would scatter to the known world. And so that was Paul's aim and goal, to get to Rome, to proclaim the gospel. Um, and he, and, he, and he, um, at this point, when the book of Romans had been written, he had yet to visit Rome. But he knew that he wanted to get the gospel into the hearts of the people. Paul writes that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Now, these are some important words directed at all the believers in Rome, because Rome was a city where polytheism was huge. And it, it was a city where Christians experienced an enormous amount of persecution, and they would for centuries um, there. David Dykes wrote these words, he, sharing about Rome in the first century. And he, he wrote, he said, some people said Paul would be embarrassed to go to Rome and preach because there would be there he would be a laughing stock of the people. During his time, the Roman Empire was putting Christians to death. Christians were being executed. They were accused of being cannibals. Cannibals, he says. Well, yes, they were the group of people who talked about eating the body and drinking the blood of their founder. And to those unspiritual minds in Rome, that sounded like cannibalism. So they were being executed for cannibalism. Many were executed because they were called atheists. You say, how could Christians be atheists? Simple, if you could go to Rome, you would have found the beautiful temple, the Pantheon. 
Okay, in that building there were little shelves or alcoves and, and there were little gods that were on all of these different alcoves. And when Christianity shows up on the scene, the Romans are like, hey, here's a little shelf that you can place your Jesus on and we will worship him just like we'll worship every other God that, that has been made known to us. I mean, the Romans had a God for everything. I mean, they had a God for every day of the week, every month um, of the year, for every holiday. They had God after God after God. So Jesus just fit right into their, in, into their way of life. But Paul wasn't going to have anything to do with that, nor were the believers in Rome. They weren't going to bow down and worship many gods. They were going to worship the one true God. And as a result of that, many, many Christians would lose their lives during the early um, church movement. Paul believed that the mission of the gospel outweighed the consequences for preaching the gospel. That is how he was able to boldly proclaim that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? But there are still places in our world today where, where you will be put to death if you give your life over to Jesus Christ. We're reading a book right now, and, and everyone, I know that um, uh, everyone has been invited to our new small group that we've started at, at our house. Um, today will be our second meeting, and, and we're walking through a book called Follow Me. And in that book, um, David Platt talks about these different parts of the world where there are still believers being put to death for proclaiming Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You would think, well, we live in the 21st century. Why in the world is that still going on? Because there are people that hate our God that are opposed to all things Christianity, all things Jesus. And so, so they're afraid that, that if Jesus makes his way into their religion, then guess what's going to happen? It's going to explode. And we see that happening in parts of this world today. And the gospel is growing faster in Asia and the Middle East today than it is anywhere else in this world. And in those places, it is illegal to be Christians. People are, I mean, I saw just um, yesterday, I believe, that there are eight people waiting execution in Iran for being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's happening right now in this world, and that was happening during Paul's day, and Paul was able to say, hey, even though this is going on, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that he is not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel itself means good news. Paul is not ashamed of the life-giving good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the greatest news one could ever receive, and it is the greatest news that could ever be proclaimed by anyone. When I was in high school, I was at a conference, and I don't remember where I was at. I don't remember the name of the preacher that was there or the communicator that was there. But while I was there, there was a, a poem that was shared called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And, and I used to have that poem in the front of my Bible, and I would refer to it regularly because it talks about how as believers we need to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to watch um, this video, and this video just kind of kind of cools up a little bit. The saying of this poem will, does a better job than I could ever do, and so let's watch this together this morning.
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes down for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That's just such a great poem. And I mean, I was in high school a few years ago, and so it's been around for for a while, but I love that last verse. That version is just a little bit different than, 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 than what I remember, but it says again, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. That's what we've been called to do is to go until Christ returns or until he calls us home. This poem embodies what it means to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice our second point is this. The gospel is the power of God. In verse 16 again we read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Last week we looked at how Paul prayed for power. He prayed for power to be manifested within that church in Ephesus. And this morning he is praying for that same thing for this Roman church. The word translated power, we looked at this last week, but if you weren't with us, just by way of review, it is in the Greek, it comes from the word dunamai. And it is from this word that we get the word dynamic and dynamite. The gospel contains the dynamic power of God. That is why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He knew that the gospel was more powerful than him and that the gospel could save even the worst of sinners from the most despicable of acts. You know, Paul was a pretty despicable person before he became a believer, wasn't he? You know, um, Paul, before he became a believer, he, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He gave his blessing for Stephen to be stoned to death. 
That's the kind of man that Paul was. He was a worthless individual before he gave his life over to Jesus Christ. And it was on the way to Damascus when he was going to persecute the Christians and to bring them back, arrested and bound, and bring them back to the city of Jerusalem that Jesus Christ got a hold of him. So if anybody knew what, what, what it would have looked like to be ashamed of Jesus, it would have been Paul, because I'm sure that Paul would have encountered people along the road that he had been persecuting that probably um, said, hey, we'll renounce Christ if you don't hurt us, if you don't harm us. Paul probably did encounter some people like that. You know, that still happens in this world today where people are um, in, in Muslim cultures and some other cultures where they're saying, you know, renounce Christ and you'll live. And there's people that renounce Christ and they continue to live. So Paul would have understood what it would have been like to be ashamed of Jesus. But here he's saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us here that the gospel of the gospel's purpose. What is the purpose of the gospel? It is the power of God for salvation. Now, back in the first century, when people thought about about power, they did not think about atomic power or nuclear power or electric power. If you've got a a Dodge, they didn't think about hemi power. When they thought about power, they thought about Rome. They thought about Caesar, the most powerful man on the planet. Paul, though, makes it clear that there is one true power source, and that power source is found when the gospel is received. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that there is no greater power in this world than Jesus Christ? If you believe that and we believe that, then we should give evidence of that and demonstrate that as we do life with people in this world that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel saves, but also notice the gospel's call. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Does does Paul say here for some people who believe or a select few people that believe? No, the gospel has the power to save all who place their faith in Jesus Christ is what we get from this passage of Scripture. I love um, I love this. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save everyone who believes. Several, uh, a couple of years ago, I was in my office and I was le- listening to a sermon that Greg Lowry had preached. Greg Lowry is the pastor um, of, of Harvest um, Chapel in California, a large mega church out there, and he preaches crusades um, uh, periodically that draw thousands upon thousands of people in attendance. And, and in that message, this has just always stuck with me, but in that message, he shared how he was once challenged um, by, by, by a believer um, to not use the word save when he was preaching. He said that, this person said that the word saved is is too churchy of a term. And people can't relate really to what that word saved means. And he thought about that. And, and he, 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 he said, no, I think salvation and the word saved is a pretty predominant word in God's word as well as within our society. I mean, think about it. You know, if you were in a fire, okay, and, and, and a fireman comes and rescues you from that fire, what are you going to say? I was saved, right? If you are in the middle of the ocean and your boat sinks and you're left treading water and all of a sudden this tanker ship comes along and reaches down and rescues you from that water, what are you going to say? I was saved, 
right? So saved is not an outdated word at all. It is a very biblical word. In fact, um, uh, you, you, if you you remember the story in Acts of Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas had been out preaching the gospel. As a result of that, they get arrested, they get beat, they get thrown into prison, and they get shackled um, together in that prison. And, and notice this story in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 30. Notice what Paul and Silas are doing as they're in that prison. We read in verses um, 25 through 30 of Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, man, these people, these two guys are probably, um, were almost beaten to death. And now it's midnight, and what are they doing? Man, they're praying, and they're praising the Lord, and other people are listening in on this, on this worship service. In verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That jailer is about to kill himself. But when Paul and Silas make it clear that they had not escaped, that jailer immediately says, What must I do to be saved. Saved is not some outdated word. The word saved, the word salvation, uh, it gives a clear picture of what Jesus Christ did as he came to this earth and dwelt among us and died on the cross for our sins after living in perfect life. He died, he was buried. Three days later, he rose to life again, providing a way for all of us in this room to enter into eternal life. You know what Jesus did? Jesus reached down out of heaven and he rescued us from the depths of this earth. He rescued us from the, from the fires of hell when we placed our faith in him. That is a picture of salvation. That is what it means to be saved. It means to be rescued from a collision course with hell. Great word, the word saved is. We also see here that the gospel saves, the gospel calls, and the gospel guarantees For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that the gospel has the power to save both Jew and Gentile. Why did he make that distinction here? Well, it's because of this. There were still Jews that believed that... that, that are Jewish believers that believe that that Christianity was only for the Jews. It didn't involve anyone outside of Judaism. Well, Paul makes it very, very clear here that that salvation is to the Jew, okay, Um, and it's also to the Gentile. Here's the reality. Many first century Jews rejected Jesus, didn't they? They turned their back on him and failed to acknowledge that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so what does the gospel do then? It goes to the Gentiles. It's still a gospel to the Jews. It's still a gospel to the Gentiles. It's a gospel that's made available to everyone. But within this passage of Scripture, we see that distinction between Jew and Gentile go from Jew to Gentile. still encompasses both, but also 
identifies each. The gospel has the power to save without regard to a person's race, without regard to a person's income, a person's skin color, education, age, family background, political background, racial background, um, place or proximity within this world. The gospel can save and does save and will save up until the very last days. In Revelation 7, 9 through 12, we read these words. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The gospel has been made known to all, or is, is to be made known, made known to all people. Here's the reality today. There are still close to about 6,000 people groups that have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ, yet to have the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ um, um, through a messenger of God going to them with the gospel. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of reaching unreached people group. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that that can say that we had a role in reaching unreached people group, that we had a role in, 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 in reaching the unreached. I also pray that it will be during our lifetime that Jesus Christ returns for his church, returns for all of us and snatches us away from here so that we can begin to dwell with him for all of eternity. Notice our final point this morning. It's this, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. In verse 17, we read, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The key word here is righteousness. This this word means to be made in right standing with God. One writer shared, it is a legal term taken from the courtrooms of the ancient world. It means to declare not guilty and to declare innocent of all charges. The one who is righteous in God's eyes is the one who can stand before him and be declared not guilty. Here is where the greatness of the gospel is clearly seen. It provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves, On our own merits, we all stand condemned before the Almighty God. On our own, we stand condemned, but here is the beauty of salvation. Here is the beauty of the gospel. You and I no longer stand alone, do we? You know why we no longer stand alone? Because Jesus Christ stands with us. He stood in our place, and he stands with us. I believe with all of my heart that when we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. We see a beautiful picture of that in Scripture when Stephen stood before the religious leaders and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached it boldly and unashamedly. And as he did that, at the conclusion of that message, they drug him out and they began to stone him. But before they stoned him, we read these words in Acts chapter 7. Now when they heard these sayings, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Then he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with loud voices and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their 
garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Jesus stood for Stephen right there, didn't he? And like I said, I believe with all my heart that when we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. Stephen was a man that experienced the righteousness of God. He was a man that stood before God in right standing, and he was a man that died before God and others in right standing. He was a man of faith, a man that believed with all of his heart that Jesus came and dwelled amongst us and lived and died for us. He was unashamed of the gospel. He stood and he preached and he died. And I believe with all of my heart this morning that his life still preaches on today and that people are still getting saved as a result of reading this story and seeing his boldness and seeing the glory of God on full display. You know, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, and I've shared this with you many times, but it's Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we get this glorious picture of the faith chapter. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, an unveiling of lives well lived man and woman who lived their lives sold out to the Lord. And as a result, they, their names have been written in, 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 in this beautiful faith chapter. But one of the very first names mentioned is Abel. And we read in verse 4, it says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I mean, his life is still a testimony for all of us of what faithfulness looks like. You know what your life has the potential to do? It has the potential to outlive you. My life has the potential to outlive me. How is that? Well, when we allow ourselves to be living testimonies of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives and we commit to take the gospel to other people who then are going to take the gospel to other people, then going to take the gospel to other people, guess what? Our lives are going to outlive us because of the Holy Spirit's work through us. Yeah, I'm not saying that one day your names are going to be written in some book as having um, lived faithfully. That's not what that means at all. But because of your witness and your faithfulness and your boldness, because one person accepted Christ, then another person accepted Christ, and then another person accepted Christ, that's going to be a result of you being faithful to the Lord and allowing the Lord to speak to you and speak through you. Let's ask ourselves a couple questions this morning. What have we done to demonstrate that we are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who have we had the privilege of investing in and discipling who then will go and disciple and invest in another? Who have we led to Christ that have gone on to lead others to Christ? Remember, we looked at this last week, and we're going to look at this again next week, but our vision here at Friendship is this. We exist to glorify God by becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel is worth believing in. The gospel is worth sharing. The gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is worth being unashamed of. I'm going to ask you this final question this morning. Have you been found to be in right standing with God.
Have you experienced God's righteousness in your life? Have you, have you um, been found knowing that one day when you stand in the courtroom of heaven, it's going to be declared of you by the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, that you have been found not guilty, found righteous in his presence. I pray that's the case for all of us in this room. But the reality is there may be someone here this morning that has yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you were to die today, um, Scripture is clear you'd spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. If you don't know Jesus this morning, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you want to know more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be standing here, and I'd love to share with you more about that. If, um, if, if after the service you've got questions, I will be available. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us, as we go throughout this week, all of us in this room, let us not be ashamed of the gospel, but let us boldly proclaim it to those that we come in contact with through our lifestyle and through the words that we have the privilege to share with them. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for your word and the promise that is in it. Father, thank you for the life of Paul. Thank you for the life of Stephen. Thank you for the life of Silas. Thank you for the life of the faithful men and women that grace the pages of your holy word. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you that they have been found righteous in your sight. And Lord Jesus, I pray that all of us in this room have been found to be righteous in your sight, to be found right and right standing with you. But if there's someone here this morning that cannot say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am in right standing with God, I pray that this morning will be the morning that they are able to walk out of this place knowing that they're in right standing with you. Father, I pray that as all of us go throughout our day, through our week, Father, all of us will live our lives boldly for you, unashamed, May we live our lives, Lord Jesus, knowing that we are your instruments. We are your hands. We are your feet. We, you have given us the privilege through the authority that you have given us to be your mouthpieces, to boldly proclaim the message of salvation. May we be obedient to that. Father, thank you again. Lord, we ask you now as we enter into this time of invitation that you move. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.